Let's pray. Father, I'd ask your Holy Spirit to be here. May our hearts be open and may uh, this place be a place that bursts forth with life. In Christ's name, amen. Let me ask you a question. Who has received more than 50,000 messages on Facebook this week? First, some of you may need to know what Facebook is. If you're under 50, you probably know what that is. But it's this networking system on the computer that gets people in contact with one another. Very easy to get to know other people and send messages. 50,000 messages on Facebook this week, and it wasn't me. Sully, you got it. Captain Chelsea B. Sullenberg III, the pilot of the U.S. Airway jet with the 150-some those people on it who landed that successfully. Captain Sully, here he's 50-some years of age, 57, and he's on Facebook, and he's getting 50,000-plus messages from around the world from people who were so impressed with his heroism. I flew back, I believe it was like the next day I was coming back from Florida uh, to Minneapolis. Yes, I missed the cold spell. Yeah, thank you. Let's hear more of that. No, anyway. <laughs> you know, I had the opportunity to fly back, and as I was going through the airport, people were had their heads buried in newspapers. And as I got onto the plane, people were sitting there with their heads in newspaper. Flight attendants were sitting on their little seats in, reading newspapers all about this event. Probably scared to death as they're getting on planes. And as they talk about it, it was almost miraculous, this rescue. Because there were a number of things that had to be kind of just right so that you wouldn't lose anyone, in fact. So that this rescue didn't become a catastrophe. For instance, the speed of the plane had to be just right, especially as it was stalling. If it would have been five knots faster or five knots slower, they say, it could have been a tragedy. Not only did the speed have to be correct, how it hit the water had to be just right, too. He had to get both engines to hit almost about the same time, because if he didn't, it would actually catapult the plane into somersaults and breaking it apart, causing all kinds of injury and loss of life. Not only that, when he stalled, he had to make sure that the nose was up and the tail went in first, so that if the tail went down, it would drag the plane to a stop as well. They talked about all kinds of other factors besides the heroism of Sully. They talked about the fact that it happened during the day and not at night. The fact that because it happened during the day, at the time that it happened, there were the opportunity for all kinds of people to come to the rescue and help people out. And about the heroic act of the crew that stayed so calm and people who remained calm as they got people out and they got them onto boats and all the things that went into it. And not only that, the pilot himself, having been trained in a number of different ways with regard to safety, how could you ever plan to have a pilot who was used to gliders and learning how to land a glider? Planes aren't meant to glide like that kind of plane. And he had that as well. All those things going together just right so that it ended up being a rescue. 
people saved. People enjoying life today because of all those things. Well, what I want to share with you is there is a real sense as we read this letter to the Galatians, Paul is all about explaining this incredible rescue that came through Jesus Christ. And he wants to make sure that everybody he's talking to in this area of Galatia where he had gone for the very first time, the church actually did a missions trip and, and the Holy Spirit led them to go there and, and bring this good news about the rescue of Jesus. And he wanted to make sure that if they didn't get all these things just right and understanding, they would end up being in the same bondage that they once experienced, even though it was a different religion. And so as we, we look at this letter, and as I said, we probably won't open this letter for a few weeks. We're actually going to take about three weeks and, and, and talk about, um, as it says, this present evil age and talk about this present evil age and address some areas around finances and, and, and things such as that that God has freed us from so that you can live in the freedom of this. But today we're going to look specifically at just the greeting of this letter. In that day when a letter was written, I had mentioned a couple of weeks ago, it usually would come in a parchment and that parchment would be rolled up and on that parchment, just like you would have in a letter that we send, three things would be on that letter of extreme importance. There would be the author's name, so that you have Paul, an apostle, and all the brothers with me. You would have the recipient's name, so you knew who was receiving this, to the churches in Galatia. And he doesn't add anything but that there. And then there would be a greeting. Now, we don't have that on our letters. But in that day, the way they would store these parchments, which would be rolled up, you would have these three things so that a person could look at it and go, oh, yeah, Paul, he wrote to the Galatians. Because what if he wrote to a couple places twice, like to Corinth or to um, some of these other, you know, Thessalonica or some of these places? You would then see Paul. You would then also see where it was written to. And then there would be a brief greeting so that you didn't have to open it up and look at the whole letter. And so that's what you have in here. You have these three things on this letter. And, and what you find is interesting that is before you actually even open up this letter, and it's not necessarily characteristic of all the letters that Paul wrote, there are two things that he expands upon for a purpose, so that when you look at the outside of this letter, you can see, because of Paul, he's so passionate about what he is writing them, he can't even start, he has to almost start writing the letter on the envelope. He's so desirous for them to know something that a bunch of Jewish Christians who came from Jerusalem, who after Paul and Barnabas and, and, and Mark and, and a few others who went through this area and birthed these groups of people who were meeting around this rescue of Jesus, these Jewish Christians came from Jerusalem Paul had come from a northern place called Antioch with these, and this church from Antioch sent them. These people came from Jerusalem, and they followed Paul and, they, and his message, and they said to all these groups of people that Paul had met with, so you can just see, Paul just leaves, he gets back, and this group comes behind him, and they're knocking on the doors of each of these places, and they're saying one thing, and that is that Paul is not legit. He hasn't really been vetted by the Jerusalem Christians, so he doesn't really have the credentials of one who really knows Jesus, he's not a true apostle. 
And so Paul, right in the beginning, begins and says, Paul, an apostle, and he makes it very clear, hey, look it, I didn't need the vetting of these apostles. I was vetted by Jesus Christ himself. I was not sent by man nor by man, but by the Father and by Jesus Christ. And now you have to understand, he's going to spend chapter 1 and chapter 2 of this letter, two whole parts of this letter, to share with them his credentials so they can be sure of the fact that he really is from Jesus. And then you see, he says to the Galatian churches, doesn't add anything to that, doesn't need to, and he goes to the greeting. And usually a greeting was just a short thing like grace, mercy, and peace, or peace, or grace and peace, or some few words. But Paul is concerned again because these Jewish Christians who had come from Jerusalem, and they not only said that Paul isn't legit, they also said his gospel isn't really fully adequate. He hasn't told you the whole thing. There are more things you need to know about this rescue. There's a rescue plus things that you have to have. And so Paul, he begins and he, he, he says, grace and peace to you from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. And, and then he, he can't help himself. But he's actually got to um, expand the greeting. And he says, after he says the Lord Jesus Christ, he just can't help but say, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And he'll spend chapters three and four talking about what this gospel really is and how important it is to know about this rescue and what this rescue means and all that it means in that rescue so that they won't head down a road that will put them back in bondage again. Because Paul had lived that way himself. He had lived in this way where he was seeking to earn his acceptance and his love before God and before other people. He had put himself under the, the laws of the do's and don'ts, and if he just did enough of these things that he was supposed to do and didn't do those things you weren't supposed to do, then you could really kind of live with people looking at you, and they would accept you, you'd feel good about them, and you had an in-group and an out-group, and, and you had those that were accepted by God because they did the right things, and Paul says, you don't want to live that way. It's not about rules and regulations. It's not about being self-right. It's not about you looking at me and going, yeah, I think you're a, you're, you really know God. It's about a relationship where you know in your heart the grace that comes from God and the peace that comes from God. So I want to share with you, when he writes grace and peace as a greeting from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ, let me share with you the greeting that he's giving is much more than just a greeting. He is talking about a reality that he wants you and me to live in. It's something he wants us to live in. It is not just a, hey, good morning. It's more the idea when he would look at you and say, hey, this is a good morning, good in every way, and I hope you're enjoying all the goodness of this morning. He's saying grace and peace, not some, some formal, meaningless words that he's putting out there, kind of like, hi, how you doing? He's saying grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ for a very specific purpose, because he wants all of us to know the reality of what it means to live under the acceptance and the love, the unmerited favor of this God who has chosen us and who loves us and created us, and he wants us to live in that. And he wants us to live in the peace. The peace that comes because, in a few moments of this rescue that I'll explain. The peace that, that puts you in a place with God where you have 
um, a, a settled heart, a confidence and security, the kind of peace that puts you in a relationship with others so that you can live knowing that your conscience is free. And as you live out your life in this sense of being forgiven by God and forgiving others and, and forgiving those you experience as peace. The word peace is shalom, which means it, it constitutes this idea of everything that is healthy and harmonious in your life. It's the negation of lack. It is this fullness, this abundance that Jesus said comes with someone who lives under the unmerited favor and grace of God. And as they live that way, they experience the fullness of relationship with him. And they have that ability to offer that to other people as well. And Paul says, that's what the greeting is. That's, that's what you're to live in. That's what your life is to be about. We, we sometimes lose the, the understanding of these two words, grace and peace. The, the word grace, this idea, is, is, is more than just this undeserved kind of love, of loyal love of, uh, in relationship with God. It's also the idea, has the idea of being lovely and free and beautiful. It's this life of a person who is growing with God. And as they're growing with God, they're becoming more poised. They're becoming more confident. They're becoming more secure. They're becoming more gracious, more lovely. And the word actually is the idea of more charming in a good, positive way. Sometimes we say things like, boy, doesn't she move with grace and a lot? What's that mean? They, they move with a sense of symmetry and poise and, 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 and beauty and, and loveliness. And, and it's attractive. And he says, here's what God has given to you. Grace and peace. It's come from God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And this is what you're called to live in. This is the reality that you're to live in every day. And that you're to grow in. And then he goes and he says the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's almost like he can't help himself when he says the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as he says grace and peace, he has to explain. Here's the reality you're called to live in, but here's the reason why. It's, it's just not some reality that you try and choose to live in. There's a reason why you live in this reality. The reason is because Jesus has rescued you. And as he's rescued you, you have the ability also to go out and rescue others. As you begin to live in this grace and you begin to experience this peace, you begin to experience and and share this love with others. And you are one of God's rescuers. And so you get this picture that he gives us of this rescuer, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Look what it says. Who gave himself for our sins. The very first thing you note about this rescue is it's about a substitution. It's a life for a life. The idea is very simple. It's the word gave in, in, in the Greek is the same word that he uses a little bit later in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, where he says, I live by trust, faith. I, I, I anchor my heart on this truth. He says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. It's the idea of one who delivers himself up voluntarily for a specific purpose. It is a sacrificial act of love. This Lord Jesus Christ who sacrificially gave himself for my sins is what he says. That's the specific purpose for which he has volunteered. Jesus in heaven, when the Father was, was they were talking about a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Jesus raised his hand and said, you know, I'll go down there, I will rescue them. Voluntarily. Wasn't coerced. I will give my life for your life. 
for your life. I'll give my life for your life and for your life. It's a substitution. The Greek word, the preposition for sins is, is literally on behalf of. It's identical in, 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 in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 3. Paul is giving a summary of the gospel to the Corinth church. And he says, for I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's primary. This is the, if you want, what's essential? Here it is, says Paul. That Christ died for our sins, on behalf of our sins. And so in essence, the gospel, he says, is about Jesus dying in the place for your sins and my sins for judgment. You can live with peace and assurance and security and confidence, no longer having to fear any penalty. No judgment will be upon you. You can live and, 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 and enjoy the goodness and grace of God day in and day out, never fearing the penalty judgment of God on your life. Both now and forever. Isn't that great? <laughs> so the first thing he says is, there's a substitution. I have taken, in a sense, here, here's what, what Jesus has done. He's made this great rescue. He has given his life for your life. You can't do that really for anyone else. In an eternal sense, in the judgment with regard to the sins of our lives. Those have been taken. Those have been removed. You don't need to live in the shadow of that judgment ever again. He has to get that out there right away because he needs them for them to know that this rescue involves nothing they need to do. Jesus did it on the cross for them. Paid for. Finished. No longer yours to do. No longer yours to have to work towards. No longer worrying about, am I doing these don'ts right? Am I doing these do's right? Now it moves to a second thing which he makes very clear here. He has he says, he, Lord Jesus Christ gave himself up for in place of, instead of, so that you don't have to. It should have been me, it should have been me, but now I'm free, I'm free, right? Instead of, so that you can now live a new life. That you can live a new life. That's, that's really what he goes on to talk about. He has rescued you from the present evil age. It's really important to know this, too. His rescue is not that he's taken us out from this world. And, and Jesus makes that very clear. I did not pray for them, Father. I'm not praying that you take them out of this world. But he's praying that we will have his life, the life that comes from heaven, the life that was inaugurated when Jesus died and then when he rose again, when Jesus rose again, that very life that comes from heaven is the life that he gives you and me now, the resources to live out of the love of God, to live out of the grace of God, to be able to know the peace of God, to be able to begin to share that with others people is something that is of another world. So for substitution, he's taken the penalty, but now he's done something greater. He's given you a new life. He's given you power that comes from another world. The power that raised Jesus from the dead can be, can be a part of what is in your experience and in your life today. That's what he says. The verb rescue that he uses here is really not an expected word from Paul. In no other place in his writings does he use that word, rescue. It's a unique word. But it does occur, interestingly, three times in Luke's book called Acts. And remember, Luke traveled with Paul and, in fact, wrote a lot of Acts as the history of how the gospel moved from Jerusalem throughout the, end of, throughout the ends of the world. And so halfway through it, Paul comes along because he takes it to the ends of the world, so to speak. So three times he uses this, and Paul and them must have been in conversation. So for some reason, it's not one that's in Paul's vocabulary too often, but he uses it here. 
Luke 7, verse 34. He shares a little bit of what this rescue means. It's the idea of delivering someone from the power of another. The rescue in Luke 7.34 is, is the rescue of Israel from Egyptian slavery. God came in and he rescued these people out of this place in order to live in a promised land. Luke chapter 12, verse 11. It's the rescue of Peter from prison under the hand of Herod. This idea that God sent an angel and he freed Peter to walk out of that prison, walk by the guards, be removed from the hand of Herod, and now be placed under the hand he was always under, which was the hand of God, even when he was in prison. But God rescued him, using the same word. Luke chapter 23, verse 27, he uses the word one more time when he talks about the rescue of Paul from from an infuriated mob who were about to lynch him. You see Paul, he's probably teaching and preaching and talking about things that are very offensive to especially Jewish ears, and they begin to become upset, and they're angry, and they're, they're ready to stone them, and they're starting to slug him and push him around, and it says that God rescued him, took him out from the power of that bondage, and placed him in a new, free place. And this is the rescue that Paul talks about. It's a rescue that causes us no longer to fear judgment. And it's a rescue that now allows us to understand the force of God that comes from heaven through our lives. Available to anybody. And Paul was really afraid that these, quote, Jewish Christians who were vetted by the true apostles who knew Jesus Christ, who wanted to come along and share with them that their rescue was something more than just Jesus. You had to actually do something. And Paul's going to share in this letter, you do that and you lose your freedom. You do that and this greeting I gave you and the reality of that grace and peace will not be yours. It'll be elusive. And let me just share with you, too, that, you know, when I talk about this grace and this peace, I'm the first to let you know that it is not something that, and just so if you're listening, it's not all of a sudden you, you get it and you're there and, 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 it, and you've been perfected into it. Okay? The whole letter that he talks to us about is about how that we learn to live in that grace and peace and enjoy that freedom. But his concern is that someone could come along with a message that is inferior, with a life that is regulated by rules, and steal the very freedom that God has called you to enjoy. There's a story that I really, really like. It's um, another rescue story. And I, some of you may remember the uh, fighter pilot, Scott O'Grady. He was uh, the guy who was, uh, he was in his fighter plane. He was actually hit by a sand missile. The sand missile cut his plane in half during the Bosnian-Serb um, struggle. You remember that, that, that war that was taking place, which we just were um, helping out from an air standpoint. He's, his, plane is, his fighter plane is cut in half. His highly trained fighter pilot is able to eject out of the cockpit, and he's now parachuting over enemy territory. And this is what Time Magazine said. He says, quoting him, I was in that parachute for a very long time, you can imagine. 
He goes on, he said, crowds of armed Bosnian Serbs were just sitting there waiting for me. I figured the only reason as they're sitting there that they didn't shoot me out of the sky was because they wanted to capture me and then torture me. As he continued to float down. Time magazine continues as it says, as O'Grady landed near a grassy clearing, he wasted no time. He shed his parachute, ran towards a small clump of woods. He dropped into a bush and buried his face in the dirt. Afraid that the Serbs would see the white of his skin or the metal clips on his jumpsuit, he placed his green flying gloves over his head and ears and he prayed. Within four minutes, within four minutes, he heard men moving about him, sometimes only a few feet away, wildly shooting into the brush in the bush, just shooting their guns. The reporter's like, you know, his, his jaw is down. He goes, how, how could they not see you? God, O'Grady said. Then as if to bury all doubt and speculation, O'Grady looks at the reporter again and says, God, period. Write that in Time magazine. Do you know what I think is so amazing about that whole search and rescue mission for Scott O'Grady? Well, let me phrase it this way. Think about it. How many resources, people, machines, and dollars do you think one man is worth? What I love about the story that Paul tells us here in this, in this, in this letter of Galatians, he talks about this search and rescue mission that Jesus was upon, removing the penalty from us and the shots that we would be taking because of our sin. And then he talks about the power, the ability to live this new life. And, 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 and what I failed to mention to you just a moment ago is he gets so excited and he, and he goes on and he says, all this was according to the will of God. Which is the coolest thing about this whole story, because here is God, who is not himself having to be coerced. Jesus raises his hand right away when he looks at the situation that we're in, and he looks at how our selfishness gets us into trouble all the time. Jesus is saying, I'll go down there, and God the Father is not in the position where Jesus and the Holy Spirit are going, but come on, Dad, please, would you please, you know, they really messed it up, we know, but would, if you would... He says, according to the will of, of God, our Father, because he wants to make it very clear how much he deeply loves us, that he would do anything, more than we would do ourselves to free ourselves, to rescue ourselves. We would die in our sins and cry out and not have the ability to do it, not have the power to free ourselves, not have the ability to take the penalty from it. But God, according to the will of God, loves us so much that He would do anything. He would send even His Son and all the Godhead themselves would raise their hands and say, I am there to rescue you. And you. And you. Even if it was just you. And he says, all this is according to the will of God. Incredible. He isn't coerced. He is, this is not an afterthought. This is according to the plan and heart of God who loves us more than we love ourselves. And he's so excited about it that he says, according to the will of God, and he can't help but go on, but in, in the talk, and he, he does what he often does. He gushes out in praise. He gets as excited as I do. He says, all to the glory to him forever and ever. Amen. And so I ask this when I read this story and I'm thinking about this Scott O'Grady and, 
And I think how many resources and people and machines and dollars do you think a man is worth when he's lost? Well, the American military deployed 200 men and women and approximately $6 billion worth of equipment to find one guy. Just one guy. Let me give you a short list of what the good old U.S. of A. is willing to do as a search and rescue operation for one person. Two lacrosse spy satellites worth a billion dollars. Two sea stallions worth $26 million each. Two Cobra gunships worth $12 million. Four sea harriers at $24 million. Several F-18 bombers at $30 million each. F-16s, F-15s, EF-11s at $60 million each. And several AWAC planes at $250 million apiece for one guy. All in all, 200 people were directly involved and 40 planes were deployed to rescue one man. And it included everybody doing their part. That's God's rescue operation. Friends, that's God's approach for the lost. Sparing nothing. Doing whatever it takes. And that's what God calls us to do. You see, when Jesus preached a sermon on the mount, he looked at the followers that were around him and he said, guess what? You're the light of the world that goes around shining it, helping lost people find their way. It's really interesting that when Jesus stood before those who followed him throughout the course of his life, before he ascended to go up to heaven, he looked out and he said, guess what? You guys, you're it. You're my strategy. You're my search and rescue operation team. I have no plan B. In this area, and the people that we know around us, who themselves need to know this love of God, who need to experience the grace of God, as we ourselves are growing in that grace of God, we're it. And what would we spare? For one guy, the government put all its resources together, took a whole lot of time, and they put that time there. They expended all kinds of financial resources. They expended all kinds of human wisdom and energy to understand, to know what they needed to do to reach one guy. What are we willing to do to reach the person or people that God places around us? Not that we have our act together, okay? I say that again and again. Look at people around you. And you, you look at them you go, they drive a nice car. They're looking pretty good today. Guess what? They don't have their act together, but they do have this. In many cases, once you were lost, but now you've what? Been found. Here, here's the thing I find about myself. It's real easy to forget what it's like to be lost. Isn't it? It's real easy to gather with other people who were once lost, forget about it, begin to start talking about all these things that, that we understand about the manual of finding people who are lost and, and get all excited about different points of it. And are we following this right and this right? And the reality is there's something far greater that manual is pointing to. It's pointing to the fact that we are a search and rescue team that is not going to necessarily get it always right, that need to, by humility and love, reach out to people to rescue even just one. If necessary. And so I look at this and I think about after years of being found, sometimes it's so easy to forget what it's like to be lost. 
But all you need to do is listen to O'Grady's response when he was finally found. And I think some passion will get sparked in your heart again. Time magazine says, hiding in the bushes. Get this. And some of you, a movie was taken off of this called Behind Enemy Lines. Hiding in the bushes for six days and six nights, afraid to move except to relieve himself, was all that he did. Not knowing if he would ever see his family or another American again, he began sending up radio signals. I liken that sometimes to people who we don't even know, maybe very well, we rub shoulders with, who in their hearts are crying out because they're in bondage to something. And we have this person who is probably sending up signals to God. Thankfully, he's sending up signals, and those signals were heard by a mothership who deployed people to go find this one person. Time Magazine says, not knowing if he would ever see his family or another American again, he began sending up radio signals. The most amazing thing, the most beautiful sound to his ears, he heard in the distance the hum of several Cobra gunships. When he heard them getting close, he sent up a flare, kind of like a cry of help. Here I am, please, find me. Miraculously, several Cobra gunships descended near his hiding place. Time Magazine writes this, I will never forget it, says Colonel Burke, the person who actually was the rescuer hoisting him onto this uh, helicopter. Dripping wet, waving a pistol, O'Grady came running from the tree line straight for our chopper. I hauled him in through the side gunner hatch. The Marines rolled him on his back, O'Grady looked into my eyes, and he mouthed these words to Captain Burke. Thank you. Thank you. And he says the shivering pilot was then wrapped in a blanket, and he handed him an MRE, which is a meal ready to eat, which tastes like dog food. (laughs) Supposedly, I didn't ever eat one, but they said he devoured it. That's what we're about. We're about helping people. Maybe someone's sitting in the pew next to you. It's about, it's about helping people, uh, not by giving them rules and regulations. Also, on certain times, and, and we'll talk about this in here, there's certain times your freedom, you need rules and regulations to help you really enjoy freedom. Okay? But it's not about rules and regulations that you do in order to be accepted. It's about rules and regulations at times that help you enjoy the very freedom that you've been given. But it's not about getting caught up in that either. It's about knowing the fact that there is a God who personally relates to you. It's not about rules and regulations. It's truly about giving people a relationship with one who has the power to remove the penalty of sin and the power to give you the life and the love and the grace and the peace and all that you need so that you can actually begin to live this life that you were meant to live and they were meant to live. I, you know, as I was... Um, and you were freezing here and I was enjoying the sun. Um, I was reading and praying and I just, I keep saying, God, I don't know fully what it is strategically, how you want us to accomplish and do these things. But I do know one thing. That you want us to lead people into this incredible love of God. And I do know this, that it is not going to happen unless we have a hunger And unless we pray, strategically, that may be the most important thing we do 
is say, God, fill our hearts with a hunger that helps us get in touch with our own needs so that we know the power and the presence of God so that we lead not with plans and programs, but with the presence of God. Not that plans and programs don't do those things, but that more important than all that is the presence of God. Because honestly, folks, what will change a person's life? That's what Paul was so excited about. In fact, as we get into this a few weeks down the road from now, you'll find that Paul actually is given to cursing. I'm going to talk about there are times that we're free to curse. Because he is so afraid that the very freedom that people were called to enjoy so they could walk in the grace and the peace of God was going to be stolen from them and they would be put in a straitjacket of rules and regulations again rather than into a relationship with a loving, gracious God who has rescued them. That's what we're about. That's what God is about. Let's pray. Father, you have loved us so much. How can we not say praise to you how can we not say thank you that you jesus gave yourself for our sins and have rescued us from this present evil age not to take us out of it but to help empower us to live this life attractively and to rescue others and for that we pray and thank you amen